Hello, hello there, Black on Black Education family. We are back with another episode of the Black on Black Education podcast, and we always give the honor of the introduction to our guests. So please let them know who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Well, thank you for having me. And my name is Matea Ashley. I am a second grade teacher. I'm an educator. I'm a registered licensed mental health therapist. I am a self-love coach. I now have changed from self-love coach to rebirth coach. I've niched down even more. So my coaching business has literally been nothing but a blessing. And it was, it's was it been me working through this, doing the process myself. I just started my baby in April. So in April, it'd be a year. This April will be a year for Matea Ashley. And I just picked my name because I was like, I'm the brand. I'm going through this. This is me. And I just really help my clients live unapologetically. I help them deal with inner child healing. I help them with the shadow work. And also my mom with two boys, two beautiful boys, handsome boys. And those are my why. They're my why behind what I do. They're my why behind Matea Ashley. They're the why behind Everything that I push, everything that I'm fighting for in life is my boys. So that's about me. Second grade teacher, mental health, and just kids, mom, single mom. So you got a, you got a lot going on, and, and it's going to give us, uh, you know, a whole bunch to dive into. And so, I mean, I'll first say that um, you started your business at the right time because there, there's, there's so many people um who was sitting at home and, you know, self-love was, was something that everybody was kind of trying to do, but a lot of folks, you know, struggling with it, you know, while, while, while watching on social media, what everybody else was doing and they weren't and things to that effect. So, you know, you, you got multiple places where you're, you know, bringing that message, you know, of self-love and that's in your own home um, now with your business, as well as in your classroom. So um, we want you to dive into, you know, I guess one of those at a time, let's, let's start um, with the most important one actually with your kids like you know what how does the work that you do like affect them on a, on a day-to-day basis and how are you helping them through you know what would have been crazy crazy times i'm gonna be honest when education i even before COVID, even before the way of virtual teaching i believe as an educator and a single mom when i was teaching kindergarten and having a younger child at home that was about to come up to that age, that's when I started realizing, like, I'm drained. I'm really putting in so much all day long into other people's kids. And I was very short with my own. And I do believe that it was around, like, my third year in teaching. Because at the first year, I'm going to be honest, like, I went into it, like, I saw my student teacher sit there and stay after hours and I was like wow I gotta do the same thing that's what I believe what a great teacher was because she gave me a great example and I loved it but then I also remember what she told me she said Matea go home go home to your family and I always was trying to strive for highly effective always trying to strive to do the best things in my classroom classroom transformations and I would literally go pick my oldest son up at the time because I didn't have my youngest but I went and picked him up from daycare and would bring him back to the school and sit in my classroom just to get work done and then I became agitated I became short 
and I just felt like I parent all day long. So I had no boundaries. Work and home life was just meshed together. And that was something that I've learned too with doing this work is that I have to separate my at home and I have to separate my work because it was just becoming where I hated doing it. I hated, I was wanting to get out of education. It was that bad. And I think my kid was suffering. And I said, oh, guess what? Got to change the grade level because I love doing it for the children. So I was like, now he's going to be in kindergarten. Let me stay in kindergarten the first year he's in here because I was that mom. Like, oh, we're going to be in the same grade level together. I get to see him at lunch every day. And it was great happened. And I was like, oh, he's getting a little attitude. Getting kind of cool. Like, okay, let me go to second grade. I, that, I try to loop up with first. Didn't work. Principal said, no, let him go on, be on by himself. Second grade, I got, I was like, COVID happened. I was like, I got to get older kids. I said, I'm, I, but the thing is, I have a kid that's four. So when my second came along, I was like, oh, I cannot be in kindergarten anymore because now I got another one. It was fine when the other one had passed on. I was like, oh, I still get the babies. But now I'm like, negative. Get me out. So that was my time. But literally, they moved stuff because of COVID and the teachers were going remote. And they wanted, Florida was brick and mortar. So they wanted to come on back to class. So I was like, mm, I don't want to do this no more. I'm not doing no more virtual teaching. I'll go back into the classroom. So that's when I got to go and move to second grade. And second grade has definitely been a sweet spot. I'm going to be honest. It has been a good feel. Um, and I just don't feel as burnt out. But this year has been tough. So with my kids, I believe... What I do at school, I do not teach them. That's one thing I don't do is teach my children. I thank God for the great educators that's out there because I'm at their throat and I'm like, why do you not get it? Why do you not understand? So that's something I try to work with them. But like I said, I do it all day long. That's the hard part. As a parent is coming home and doing it with your kids. But on the mental health aspect, I think it's helped. It's so beneficial that I the boundaries that I did not have and when I start implementing them actually honoring my boundaries that was the vital part of it because my kids started to get the best version of me and I sat there and told myself I can still pour into other people's kids healthy but when my kids is being sacrificed for all that I do for other people's children that's a problem and I had said Matea your kids deserve the best version of you. So that's when I decided to really be intentional with how I go about my boundaries with work and home and being an educator and then being in school. I love that. And I think like it's so important for us to recognize what we can and what we can't do. And I think that that's something um, that oftentimes we don't give ourselves permission for, right? So we are told that like, these are the ways that you have to show up. This is the way that you have to participate in being a teacher. This is what it looks like. This is the blueprint. You have to put in extra hours. You have to put in extra time. You have to sacrifice time with your own children in an effort to make sure that you are doing the best by, by other people's kids. And I love that you were able to recognize like my kids aren't getting what I need to give to them because I'm not filling up my own cup. Um, so, so I love that. And, and, and I think we, we agree with you so much when you say that, that the mental health of educators is ignored. Like you've talked about that so much 
on your channels. Um, and so talk a little bit about why this happens and what it looks like when a schooling system recognizes the, the issues of their, the, with the mental health of their teachers and they do something to support them through it. I think it's been, like I said, it's something that's not, the stigma is so huge on it and it's not prioritized. And like I said, it is something that's suffering. They, we're, Educators are being ignored on so many levels. But I think it was because of, I think educators had really just thought about what they were being ignored on. Of the fact of, hey, we don't want to do a PD or we don't want to do this book study. That type of thing. We weren't having a voice to say what we wanted to pour into, like what type of PDs, professional developments we were going to be like, participating in are also like things when it comes to curriculum they ask for us to vote but I'm like you already got the trash curriculum beforehand you knew what you wanted you gave us two trash curriculums people pick the best of both better evil like whatever it's called like that's what a little saying I get I got that jacked up too but the thing is they pick the worst they're gonna pick the better one out of the two they're both trash like let me pick the one with the less trash but I just believe when it came to the fact of those things being piled up and I think educators in, in I think just people in general, the baggage that we pick up, that's not ours to carry. And I think a lot of times we didn't really sit back and say, how is this affecting us mentally? Or we notice the fact that like we ignore the burnout ourselves. I believe that's another thing. Educators did not know how to name it and tame it. Or we're scared to say this is anxiety. Or we're scared to say, oh, I have depression. Or we just say, oh, teacher burnout. That's a cliche term. Because if you feel teacher burnout in September, we need to sit back and we need to pause, rewind, and evaluate the situation like, why do you feel burnout? And that's my thing is that teachers, a lot of teachers I've noticed are suffering from high-functioning anxiety or the trauma response of, like fawning, people pleasing. They conform themselves to be like chameleons. Like, okay, I want to do this, this, and this. And just because you put on or you pick up all these bags in a school does not mean that you're going to get the accolades you want. Are you going to be teacher of the year? Because a lot of people that do all this stuff don't even get recognized. But then they end up going to a, where it becomes a breaking point. Are they sitting in their room crying? Are they in their office hyperventilating, having a panic attack? And they're like, wow, but I ignored it myself. That's my thing when it comes to teachers being ignored too, is well, teachers don't speak up and hold themselves accountable or recognize before like, hey, this is where my energy level is. My cup's on E. Like it's like my gas tank. I believe as most women, they'll ride that gas tank till it's on E, baby. I know I do. I'm not stopping for any gas at a certain time, especially if it's cold or dark. So I'll ride a car, just like women get in cars. Men know their cars. That's how we, we need to normalize our body and our mind. Because mentally, if you sit there and go, oh, I don't feel this way. I don't feel good this way. Or I feel like I don't want to go to work. I don't want to get out of my bed. Or I can't breathe. I feel like my something's on my chest. That's when I think, that's why the school system does it. Because it's always been the superhero. It's always been that mask of let's put on the cape let's go do this we got to impact every kid that walks in our classroom so i think as it being ignored i think that that's the biggest thing is teachers need to learn how to voice too and not be scared 
to say, hey, I'm not okay. I mean, you're touching on so much. And um, I mean, it's it's sad um, that the things that you're saying, you know, like I'm, I'm <laughs> I talk to a lot of teachers and 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 we're hearing this. Um, you know, certainly more so than than ever. Um, and, you know, it, it's clearly not sustainable. It's not something, you know what I mean? If you don't want all the teachers in the world to get up and walk out of the classroom, you know, the, a day does not go by where I don't see an article um, about, the, you know, teacher shortages and, and, and how they, you know, going to get worse. And 40% of teachers thinking about, you know, getting a new career, like, the, you know, it, this, this is really, really terrible stuff. So, so thinking about that and, and, and thinking about the, the work that you do around self-love, um, let's talk about how that, you know, could potentially be um, the genesis of a solution to our problems where more teachers say, you know what, let, let me learn how to hold on to this, this love myself um, and, and bring it to my classroom so that I feel better about what I do on a day-to-day basis. And I think, Jamal, that's a lot of what I feel when I, when I just did my, I just did the whole celebrate your story. Um, conference, and mine hasn't released yet, but I did my session on uncovering your shadow. And I'm going to be honest, that inner child work for any individual is vital to just recognize that there's an inner child in each and every one of us. And that's where that self-love even taps into is childhood traumas and how we were raised. And I tell people, we're not born in this world with Ideally, conscious parents, conscious awareness parents. We, our parents parent us from the same awareness that they were taught. And I think a lot of times that people in general, like even educators, we look at kids and we sit there and say like their family or their, their upbringing. My thing is, if we were had the first thing in our head, like a, a reset or default, like, okay, this is a child. I still have an inner child within me their parents are this, like, this is what they're suffering from. How can I sit there and make sure they're seen and heard? And also too, uncovering our shadow and doing our hard work. I was telling myself, and I made a TikTok, it's crazy. I made a TikTok this other night about the lies that I told myself that my inner childhood trauma wasn't going to bleed into my adulthood. Mm. I did not think that anything that I went through as a child was going to come into my adulthood because I was so hyper-focused on, Mm. I'm going to be better than my mom. I'm going to do more than my dad. I'm going to be the first child in my family or my, the first generation to go to college. I'm going to get a master's. I was just thinking of how I could get out of the dysfunction yeah, and how I could be different. So that's the thing when it comes to doing the self-love and the inner child work and I mean, the shadow work and healing our inner child and really knowing who we are because i tell people you're never going to be that whole i'm sorry that whole instagram meme and everybody oh we're going to be whole and healed healing's not linear i go through this work daily yeah and to recognize my own toxic toxic book behaviors is convicting to really sit there and say wow i didn't love myself enough in my field to sit there and tell myself, hey, it's a career. Yeah. Love it. But you also have to step away and compartmentalize. I feel like men, that's why I wish there was more men educators because men can compartmentalize sometimes way better than women. There's some good women out there that do do that. But to be able to put things in file folders within our mind, 
women are thinking like this 24 seven. And I think that's when it becomes the lack of just conscious. Like we're not aware of that unless we sit there and say like, wow, this played a big role in how I teach my kids. Oh, maybe this child, and I'll be honest, there's triggers, unhealed wounds. A lot of times as an educator, sometimes the teacher that that child that's really struggling with you or that little Johnny that you're like, oh, he's never absent. I had to sit back and tell myself, what is God showing me that needs to be released out of me? There was a reflection there. Like, I just feel that every child is placed in our classroom for a reason, just like people come in our life for a reason and season or a lifetime. And I truly feel that as an educator, if we do not practice self-love or practice intentional self-care and do that hard work, we're bleeding onto the children in our classroom. That's why I just don't understand why people do like trauma-informed care training, but we're bleeding onto these kids because we're not doing the work ourselves. Uh These classrooms hurt. Yeah. With so much stuff from our own past. Wow. That's just really where I feel how that self-love would come into play is really dealing with the traumas of our own past. Like self-love comes from when you start taking that mindset and reframing it. That's a lot of it. Even as educators of the imposter syndrome. I believe that is so real. But the thing is, as an educator, people do not feel like they're the asset. They do Mm. not feel as if that they can do more. Yeah. So they feel comfortable. And that's where, like I said, inner child work, the growth is uncomfortable. But you, it feels, it's terrible, but you can't grow when you're comfortable. And a lot of educators like to stay comfortable. They stay in the same grade level at the same time. It's a lot of how they just respond to trauma. I just really believe it goes back to, and I tell people, trauma is not just something traumatic in your life. It's also a stress response. So if I'm sitting here like, I don't want to change, I'm anxious because of this has happened to me, but I grew up that way. It's way deeper. And that's where I think, like you said, to bring it in the classroom, you have to really love yourself before you can love on anybody else. Yeah. I mean, I think like so much of what you said would would connect very deeply to how educators are feeling in this moment because of the compounding of all the things that we're being asked to deal with while also living in a society that doesn't prioritize our care, right? So like, it's not just men dealing with this. It's not just women dealing with this. It's not just trans, like it's not just specific groups of people dealing with having to, to to love on themselves. We live in a society that says nothing you ever do is good enough. There's always something else to get. There's always something else to buy. There's always someone else to, to, to talk to or to move next to her. There's just a hundred different um, things that are coming at us, whether it's social media, whether it's a conversation with our unhealed parents, there are always um, something that is coming at you that's telling you that you're not good enough. And so when you're confronted with that and then no one and that's paired with no one ever teaching you how to combat that. How do you how do you cope in healthy ways? Which just so beautifully connects to to the question that I have next. Where, I mean, you're very open on your social media about your recovery and where you are and how you're doing with that. Which I'm I'm super super grateful for as someone who is the child of uh, of someone that I lost to addiction. Right. So thinking about um, thank you thank you. But I, I, just thinking about 
um, the unhealed wounds that all of us have um, and the reality that we don't learn the coping mechanisms to deal with them, many of us, um, how is your recovery going and, and why did you choose to share um, so much of what you are going through in terms of your recovery with um, the world? Uh, because yeah, you might not have 7 trillion followers, um, but the, every person that does choose to consume your content knows the experiences that, that you've been through. And that's not an easy thing to, uh, to put out into the universe. So, so why, why, why share? Why, and how does that help your practice? Well, my recovery is going great with my LaCroix. This is my go-to. I got to have my sparkling water. Sorry. Uh, but the thing is, I, I'm going to be honest. It happened March 21st. Would be a year, it would be a year that I've been sober. Um, and I could sit there and say, oh, I wasn't an addict. Or I can do the whole Oh, well, I drink because I was a single mom. Or, well, I had a bad day. I need to get the edge off. That was literally, for a while, that was my excuse. And I was like, wow, you know, I got two kids. I'm ripping and running all day long. Who doesn't want a glass of wine over dinner? Who doesn't want to sit there and just decompress? What happened to me was that glass of wine turned into a bottle. And the stress of work, the stress of being a single mom, any and everything that I could use an excuse for to have a drink or we're brunching. Let me go brunch. Let me have bottomless mimosas. When I say bottomless, that's bottomless. Legit. You're out here in the streets. And I was like, I'm an educator. I'm a mom. And I was like, this job. Like, I would see parents downtown and they would say, Miss Washington, we're going get, to get you a shot. Cause you deal with our kids and I'm like, well, dang, at least, you know, at least, you know, at least, you know, your kid is. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, thank you. Thank you. What are you drinking? Miss Washington? I'm like, Lord, baby, send the shots and the shots. So especially with your kid, I was thinking like this kid right here, I need it. But that was the thing. And I just, both of my parents suffer from addiction um, and they drink. But it's also, it was told, like brought up culture. Like, you know, we're just having drinks. We're just hanging out. And it's never viewed as a problem. But I started seeing the fact of how they were acting with the liquor or with anything, I guess, like how they acted when they were sober or when they weren't drinking, it would be a problem. And I would sit there as a child and say, like, why do they go for the, the worst? Like, I just thought always, like, it was always worse when they were drinking. And I was like, but then when they weren't drinking, they were kind of miserable. And that's when I sat there and said, Matei, are you drinking to cover your past traumas? Are mm -hmm. you drinking to numb your hurt, your pain, so you don't have to sit in it? Are you drinking mm -hmm. because you don't want to deal with life. And mm. I wanted to be numb from what I was going through, from the emotional abuse, from the domestic abuse, like physical abuse I went through with before in a relationship. And I was like, this is my scapegoat. Mm. 
And I felt as drinking that I could be anybody. But a lot of times I've told myself, oh, I'm drinking so I don't have to have my anxiety. But alcohol was just fuel to my anxiety. I would drink to be calm, but I would get more anxious. I would drink to not have slurred, like to have great conversation. And then my speech was slurred. I would drink to literally think that I had to drink to have a good time. And then I come to find out, I was like, I don't have to drink to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Like people are going to like me if they like me, if they don't, they don't. And one thing about sobriety and recovery I've learned is that you find out who is really for you. And I just started letting go of things that didn't longer serve me and friends that didn't longer, they didn't serve me anymore. Like they didn't serve the purpose that God had on my life. And I sat back and I said, God was telling me the whole time why I thought I was running from away from him. He was there the whole time. Every time I can sit back and think that it could have went way worse or something could have happened to me. Or I could have put someone else in danger or, like I said, my kids. I'm thinking, like, they were very well taken care of. But I struggled. I struggled as a mom, literally just not processing my emotions, not sitting in them and allowing myself to feel it because I felt as if I'm a Black woman in education. There's three Black educators in my school. I got to go 10 times harder than my white counterparts. I have something to prove. And mm-hmm. I've always been a perfectionist. And that goes back to my trauma response and how I go about doing things. And I was like, ooh, I'm still coming to work. But there were some times that I was struggling, like hangover, anxiety, like, dang, I done done Sunday fun day, baby. And I got to be to work Monday. Can I put in a sub? Like, is there anybody here? And that's the thing, but I would come in and I would do. And the thing, like, it was just a dark place. And recovery is, it's it's giving me freedom. And I did it for myself. It wasn't, like I said, people let me tell your kids or your why. And I say that and I love him, but it was for me. I have been able to open doors that were already open for me, but they were closed because I just wouldn't be obedient. I wouldn't give God my whole heart. I wouldn't give him everything uh, in me. And I was using that to put a Band-Aid on my trauma, put a Band-Aid on all my unhealed wounds and say like, okay, this is going to make me feel numb for a little bit. But I still woke up with the same problem. Right. I I mean, first, I just want to thank you for for sharing, you know, so so vulnerably because... um, I mean, there's stuff in there that I'm sitting like, oh, maybe I got to think about some things. And, and, you know, like as an individual um, and I have to imagine that anybody who listens, you know, it doesn't have to be alcohol. You know what I mean? For some people, it's food. Um, You know, for some people, it's TV. For some people, it's sex. Like, um, you know, people are using a variety of different vices to, you know, to numb themselves. Um, and, and, and then the fantastic work that they could be doing, the work that they could be doing of, you know, setting kids soul on fire, you know, it, it takes a, it takes a backseat to that. And you going to say something? I said it does. I was just agreeing with you. I'm sorry. No, it's, um, 
I, I again, I just thank you for, uh, you know, for, for sharing that. And I guess, um, you know, as we start to, to you know, get towards the tail end of our time, I, I mean, I, I want you to, to, you know, speak to, you know, other folks out there who, who are um, struggling with a particular thing, whatever that thing is. Um, like if I came to you um, as, as a, and I was like, do you do the sit on the couch thing? Do they do that? They sit on the couch. They sit on the couch. So yeah. So so if I was you know on the, on the couch and, and and you were you know trying to trying to share with me and and get me to a place where I really really looked um, at whatever my advice is, um, like talk talk to me like I'm one of those people um, or, or us like you know like we're, like we're one of those people um, you know to help people say okay that that what what the other side looks like, what the other side feels like. It's liberating. Mm. It is. Sobriety is not owned. It's rented. I pay rent every morning. I wake up and I get on this app and I pledge every day that I'm going to remain sober. And it was, I'm going to be honest, if you were sitting here on the couch in my office now, it would be the thing is, is who do you choose? Are you going to choose yourself over something that is a temporary fix for a permanent problem? Are you going to continue to try to fill an internal void by external means? Whether it be addiction of coffee, addiction of anything, or hyper-focusing, or working. Working, working, working yourself to the, the bone, literally, to your ends meet, and not prioritizing your mental health. When do you start to choose you? And when do you stop having to hide from the life that you really don't want to live? When do you want to walk on purpose? That's what I would ask clients is, do you feel that you wake up on purpose? Do you feel that what you do every day and who you are, does it light you up inside? Do you feel that what you do, if whether it be faith or however people resonate, I tell them all the time, if it's the universe or whoever they believe in or whatnot, in my case, I say, does God get the glory in this situation? And that's where I was battling with. It was the push and pull of this bottle or this drink or my being present and me being emotionally, physically, mentally well no i'm not perfect who is and i don't know what normal looks like for anybody because i'm like what the excuse me what the hell is normal mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. but my thing is normalizing my mental normalizing that in one instant or one drink or one miscommunication or me saying something could possibly take everything away from me. And I'm gonna be honest with you, Jamal, even before I used to counsel inmates, 
mm-hmm. in our local county jail. And from being an educator and hearing now in education world, TikTok, Teacher Graham, the prison of pipeline, everything that people are talking about, a lot of people are suffering from mental illness and those invisible wounds they're bleeding everywhere and they're the ones that hurt the worst so if you were sitting there that would be my that would be my way of saying like what do you want more and the thing is i tell people even my clients is your actions and behaviors have consequences mm-hmm. but sometimes we do not really think that, hey, this one drink or me staying up doing this, this, and this, or whatever I'm doing, or me being out here living a double life or just not being unapologetically who we are mm-hmm. and tapping into our own needs and our own wants and our own mental health. Like I took a well check, like, where are you at? That whole, how are you doing? That's so cliche. Because I, if I asked you, how are you doing? If somebody asked me, I'm gonna say, Damn, it's, it's ghetto as hell. Oh. Teaching is ghetto. Everything is like, that's why I would tell them, like, if I had to be honest. Yeah. But mentally checking ourselves and saying, we're not okay. Something else is taking. That's what was taking from me. I said, it's taking from the fact that my kids, I go back now with recovery and I look at my children, like things that we do together. And I'm like, so hyper-focused, but I'm so there. Before it was just Snapchat memories or pictures I didn't know that I was taking with pictures, random strangers I was talking to and not even having the remembrance, not even having the memory and being present with my kids. That was the biggest thing. And that's what I think as me talking to even my clients is I self-disclose a little bit of that is that I have my life back. I took my power back. Hmm. I mean, I think that there's so many people who are going to hear that and it is going to impact them. I think there's people that we all wish had heard that. Um, And so I'm just grateful for you sharing so much of that because I think that uh, unfortunately folks do not take the time, take the opportunity to really settle in uh, to, to what the reasons are for making these lifestyle changes and changing uh, the way that we love ourselves. So, so I'm definitely, definitely, definitely grateful for you sharing that with folks. And I think that people definitely need to stay tapped in with you um, because like you said, this journey is long uh, and it is hard, but it is, it is doable. Um, and when you have amazing examples such as yourself, like folks need to tap in with that. So let people know where they can find you, where they can find your work um, so that they can stay tapped into you before our last question. They can literally find me on Instagram at Matea Ashley. They can go to my website, MateaAshley.com. I also have my app. They can download it in the app store for Apple and Android. And it's Matea Ashley. It's free. I drop push notification messages, like positive stuff. You can book a discovery call with me. You can shop my merch. You can get my self-discovery journal prompts on there. It's literally in the palm of your hand. And it's just 
contact me, DM me. I'm always good for a conversation. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so our last question is always the same. Um, you get to become the interviewer. We get to become the interviewees. And what's one question that you'd like to ask us? My question would be for Black on Black education for both of y'all. How are you going to prioritize your mental health? Mm, mm. And be intentional about it. I, I, I say this often. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know when I'm going to get there, but I have a very clear vision of what I want my work-life balance to look like. So even in creating Black on Black education, when you were talking about, you know, some people, it's not drinks, it's work. And I was like, don't come for me. But it, it, it's, it's, it's definitely true. I, I work 12, 14 hour days sometimes um, because I just am always trying to find something else to do. What can I, what can I, like, how can I just be constantly moving? Um, and so I think about like a, a beautiful example of it, right, is Restore More. The way that they intentionally carve out full self-care days, the way that they intentionally carve out longer term self-care retreats, the way that they um, incorporate uh, lunch as mandatory in every single one of their days, even with all the incredible work that they're doing. Um, I, I want for, for Black on Black education to be intentional in that way so that when we build out what we know that this organization can and will be, um, that mental health and, and mental clarity is at, the, is at the forefront of that. So I don't know if I have an exact idea of what it looks like, but it definitely looks like uh, vacation time. It definitely looks, about, looks like flexibility. It definitely looks like on-site mental health counselors. It definitely looks like... Um, giving people grace and the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I try to do that as best as possible with our team now. And, and I hope that when we have even more resources and even more opportunities um, to pour into the folks who believe in us and pour into the folks who we are serving, um, we'll set the tone for it not just being something that you do uh, when you are a Black and Black education participant or employee, but that it just becomes so much a part of who you are and what you do um, that they, they don't take anything less um, than, 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 than care. So, yeah, I think I think those are just some of the, the key pieces. And then for me, uh, you know, I, I guess I'll mention like three three things um, that that, you know, they kind of relate. Um, the first is. Um, I'm, I'm just um, starting to see a therapist again. I, f I found a new one. I, I had my first session with him. Um, well, this will be posted after that, but but next week I have my first session with him. So I'm um, excited about that. Uh, I'm somebody who has um, ADHD, you know, kind of kind of diagnosed with it. I have to make this determination on whether I'm going to you know, do the medicine thing again or not. Um, I feel like, you know, my mind is a beautiful place, but, uh, you know, it's sometimes... Um, is detrimental to you know kind of like getting things done and and um and so i you know i it, it's 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 really you know taking the time to, to to work through those things um the other thing is 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 i feel like you know in, in my life when you know I, i'm not a religious person but I, but i've long been a spiritual person and i feel like i have not been connecting with that side of things um 
you know, as, as much. Um, and I, I know when I've been at my best, um, I felt guided. I feel like it's, it's, it's like everything's happening the way it's supposed to happen. And I'm meeting who I'm supposed to meet when I'm supposed to meet them. And, and I've had that in spots, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, but I've also had periods of time in my life where it was, this is years of just flow. Um, and so I want to find that again. Um, and then uh, the last thing I said, me, me, me and Eva, we probably going to get some like co-counseling co, co to, you know, but because, you know, having a, 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 a business partner and a father, daughter, and like, you know, we talk all the time with good friends, but things get, you know, it can be, gets contentious, you know what I mean? And, and um, you know, it, it, it's finding ways to, to have somebody else who's dispassionate, you know, look at how we operate. It, it certainly couldn't hurt, um, hurt. And I think it could, uh, you know, unlock some of this big, bold, beautiful vision that we feel like we, uh, we share for, for transforming education. Like if we can be an example for um, other daddy, daughters, father, sons, you know what I mean? Family kind of businesses on, on, on how people can do things together. Um, I think it could unleash a, a significant amount of power into our uh, overall community. So um, I want to do that. We, we, we want to be a stand for, for, for our community. Um, and the better we can be as individuals, the better we'll be able to do for, uh, for, for the collective um, group of people who we aim to serve. And Jamal, it's crazy that you said that. And, but I first want to say, I applaud you for showing up for yourself and scheduling a therapy session. I Thank tell you. all my men clients and especially my black men, because I've been so intentional now with really tapping into the black mental health because so many people don't, like I said, culture just don't normalize it. But for a black man to come in my office, I'm always like, wow. I tell him first, kudos. But the thing is, like you said, and I just said this in my Uncovering Your Shadow presentation, I said, when I healed myself, I healed the collective. Mm. Mm. And like I said, I tell people, yes, I work at a faith-based counseling center for for therapy. That's where my office is at. But I am spiritual. That's why I feel like I just don't do legalism. I don't do man-made tradition on religion. But the thing is, when it comes to mental health, and that's one of my shirts, it's, I say it's okay to have Jesus in a therapist. Mm. Or whoever you talk to, but if it, you be the universe, it's okay to have both. Because I'm ADHD. And Jamal, I take extended relief first thing in the morning. <laughs> pop a pill, an instant relief. In the daytime, but I was diagnosed at 29 with this. I'm 30. Mm. That is the problem of the fact that my mother did not think nothing was wrong. Like our culture, our, you know, she just, she procrastinates, but she makes good grades. But I beat myself up. Huh. Yeah. The imposter syndrome leaked through from childhood. I had to be perfect. So never thinking I was good enough, never thinking I was worthy and procrastinating and not saying, hey, wow my mind's running on a motor. Mm. And they, so say, they, say, they say a Ferrari, a Ferrari engine with no, with no brakes. Exactly. And I would pick up things, task, great multitasker, but ask me, did I get anything done? Mm. Did any of them get completed? Or I would think of a really good idea. And even with Matea Ashley, I'll drop something. I'd be like, damn, I just thought of that. I wanted to do that. Why didn't I not do it? And that's where it comes. And that's why I was like, when you said that, it just really, I felt it in my soul. 
I mm. felt it in my soul and I was just, I just want to tell you for a black man and being, being Eva's dad and just y'all doing this together. And like you said, family and community and showing up that, especially as a black man, I feel like me, me being a dad, me having my dad and I tell people, don't do that whole cliche daddy issues because there's people out here with mother wounds and everything else besides mm. just daddy issues. But seeing the stereotype being thrown in the trash mm. because black men do show up for their kids. And like you said, doing black on black education and showing people how business can be. And that's one thing I tell people, even with family counseling that I do, it's so big, like you said, to do co-counseling in that situation. And that's like in that space because the boundaries and knowing where to, this is the role that we're playing here. This is business. This is this and not have it where it intertwines or it can taint the relationship. So I'm all for that. I'm advocating for y'all to do co-counseling. And that's the thing I tell people, like that's one thing I really want to do with Matea Ashley when I do my own private practice is giving out like grant or finding a grant to help people get mental health care, like to get that because people struggle with health care in general, but to get therapy that's affordable or on a sliding feed scale or where they can do or get a grant where they can get so many free therapy sessions. Because that's the thing with education, the lack of the EAPs. In Florida, I get four. And I'm like, as a therapist, I have clients that see me once a week. Right. What are you going to get done in four sessions? Right. Because yep. right. healing is not linear. And it's also, too, you have to build that rapport, just like in everything, relationships. It takes time. Yeah. So giving yourself them all that grace and like i said just for you to even recognize and especially even even know like hey i'm a workaholic i'm doing so much just for y'all to sit there and recognize even what you do or what your toxic behavior basically is or what's can easily hurt you in the long run is amazing and that's mm -hmm. that just makes my heart happy because <laughs> it's just that y'all are showing up for yourself and it's important. And I really am so blessed that y'all even consider me to share this space with y'all oh because God. I love what y'all are doing. And I think it's time. It's been time. Yeah. And yeah. the work is going to continue. Like Principal Rata is, tells me, it's a marathon. Yeah. Like Chevy says, it's time to make history and y'all are doing it. And I'm just so blessed and I'm, I'm claiming everything. Black on Black Education. <laughs> thank you thank, so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Uh, and so that was another episode of the Black on Black Education podcast. We had a whole therapy session right up in <laughs> six minutes. So if you need to go back, re-listen to anything that was said, please do it because healing is the only way that we transform this education system. It's the only way that we serve our babies. It's the only way um, that we show up for the kids that we serve. So thank you, Matea Ashley, for spending 46 minutes with us. And th thank you everybody who stuck around and listened. We will see you next week for another episode of the Black and Black Education Podcast. Peace, peace, peace.